When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. This is iFanboy Media Splode number 42, the year-end mailbag. Why are there so many songs about rainbows? And what's on the other side? Rainbows are visions, but only illusions. And rainbows have nothing to hide. Hello, welcome to iFanboy Media Split, episode 42, the year in mailbag. My name is Connor Kilpatrick. I'm here with Josh Flanagan. Hi there. And Ron Richards. Hello. And it's the last Media Split of the year. Next month, we'll be doing our All Media Year in Roundup, which will take the place of the show. And so we thought we'd end it by opening up the mailbag and diving in like Uncle Scrooge into the money pit. Answering your questions. I do want to note that Connor prepared a little script for us. And at the top of the script, this is described as the Media Split. It is. It's, as, a, it's, as, it's not the splode. It's slide. Like an, oh, splide. there's an I. Media splide. Yeah. Media so splid sounds like a weed brand. We're yes. rebranding a lot of things next year. Media splide. I want to make a. Yeah. I'm going to make a logo that says media splide <laughs> and like script like baseball like a baseball font, Connor. Like media. That media splide. Me. This is the show unlocked by the patrons at Patreon.com/slash iFanboy. Thank you for being a patron. If you are one, if you're not one, consider being one. We appreciate everyone who helps support our various shows. Thank you very much. We have a lot of emails, so we're going to dive right in. But first, we're going to open the show, as we always do, with our regular segment, what we've been enjoying since the last time we talked. And just real quick, there may or may not be spoilers in this entire show, but we'll find out as we go. So you're on your own. Let's do this. Ron, you're up first. Oh, I thought Josh was going first. He's going last since he didn't contribute to the script. Got it. Okay. All right. Punishment. So on my side, a couple of quick things. We we we've definitely you know I know the you know the as a time of recording the 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 actor strike is still happening. Oh yeah. Although it should be dire. Getting yeah, getting dire. But we definitely have reached the point of the oh we've got nothing to watch. That's what I mean by dire. It's like oh exactly. so this past uh, this past weekend, my wife and I finally Connor took followed up on your recommendation, and we watched on Apple TV Plus the movie Flora and Son, which was delightful. Delightful. It was just, it was just wonderful. The directed by John Carney, the guy who did Sing Street and Once, more, most popularly, and and what was the other one with Kieran? Begin again. Begin again. Begin again. Yeah, we watched that recently. This was just like steeped in you know music as a through line. A, a, a Closer nice, to Once, I think, than the others, other films. Yeah, yeah, but not nearly as good as Once. But still. No, no, Once <laughs> is a masterpiece, and that's yeah. fine. But this is more yeah. – it's closer to Once in terms of tone, but it's funnier than Once. Yeah. Once is funny, but this is more of a comedy than Once was. Whereas Sing Street had the retro whimsy, this had the modern whimsy. I don't know yeah. that I've seen Sing Street. Oh, you should it's, check out. Uh, yeah. You can watch it, but it's not. It's his least good film, right? Yeah, it was. It was fine. It was it, it, like the trailer was better than the movie. Yeah, yeah that sounds about right. But uh, but yeah, no, this was the, you know like like I posted on Instagram about. It. I thought it was delightful. A good good mix of music as a through line, but really a, ta- a story of family and like modern family and and overcoming challenges and all that stuff. And so good use of Joseph Gordon Levitt. Let's hear it for the Nepo babies. The lead is Bono's daughter. She's terrific. Oh, I didn't realize that's Bono's daughter. I didn't realize yeah, she's that. Terrific, oh, wow. I, I had no idea. So um, that was enjoyable. But then also, as I mentioned, we've run out of shows to watch, although we are excited that the Gilded Age started up on HBO Max. So I know. I just saw just that. Started, yeah. I want to make one line about the Gilded Age. Okay. I love that I'm watching a show where an entire scene turned on the drama of the shame of bringing your own lunch to work. Yeah. <laughs> I, I need a low stake show, and this is the one that makes me happy. Yes. Yep. Dipped into some two new shows. One was uh, not new shows, but shows that have been out for a while that I've been meaning to watch. One is called The Gold on Paramount Plus. Have you either of you guys heard of this? 
No. This is up both your alleys. The Gold is its BBC production, British based show, takes place in 1982 in England when, much similar to our beloved Lufthansa heist in Queens and Goodfellas, a group of robbers go to Heathrow to a storage unit outside of Heathrow with it the intent to steal money that's that's being stored before it's shipped out via the airport oh i saw a trailer for this when i watched a show i'm going to talk about yes but in, instead of that money they find 26 million dollars worth of gold bullion i hate when that happens and so the show is basically about you know the robbery happens in the first 20 minutes of the show the show is about what happens next about like now that they've got the gold what do they do with it i mean it's, right. it's, a, it's a rough problem yeah, and it looks as if it's a commentary on British society and the haves and have-nots and like earned wealth versus new wealth and all that and that that sort of thing. I think that's most British shows. Exa- that exactly. Sitcoms. Is it, did you say it was a true story? It is a true story. It is. It, it, it's the. It's the. I think at the time it was the largest robbery of all time. In terms of value, the only notable actor, at least from what I saw, you guys might recognize other British actors, but uh, Dominic Cooper, Mm. who unfortunately played Jesse Custer in the ill-fated Preacher adaptation. Howard Stark. Howard Stark, yeah. He plays a lawyer who is getting involved in shifting the gold and doing all that stuff. Hugh Bonneville from Downton Abbey. Yeah, I don't know who that is, but but it's on Paramount Plus. I'd recommend it to both of you. Oh, Jack Loden, Josh from, uh, you know, Horses. Oh, oh, oh. Is that the blonde man? Yeah. Yeah, okay. He's the guy where when we watch Slow Horses, it's constantly a question of who does he look like? Like he almost looks like Simon Pegg and then he doesn't. Oh, Slow Horses, the Apple TV Plus. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Got to say, by the way, uh, Ron, uh, earlier, the way that you reacted to the drama of a man bringing his lunch to work tells me that I really think you'd get something out of Downton Abbey. Possibly. I don't know. I enjoy the Gil- I, do, I do enjoy the Gilded Age. I got I, I got to say it's uh, like uh, it's I mean it's the same show. It's just yeah. British. It's just, just got, yeah, different location, yeah. Exactly. It's got ostensibly well it's not immediately obvious that it's funny yeah okay so that was the golds on paramount plus i it, like I, I i mean it was a half an hour into this i was like oh this is up connor and josh's oh, yeah. i'll, I'll definitely time. check yeah, it out yeah, sure, yeah. so yeah. definitely yeah. check it out and then because my wife read the book we started watching lessons in chemistry on apple tv plus which is the tv show adaptation of, of a novel that was very popular a couple of years ago it takes place in the 40s and 50s about a, a chemist in L, in the la area Played by Brie Larson as the oh as, right as the lead. oh Lindsay's watching that very slowly paced. <laughs> Lindsay really liked it. I feel like it it, it probably should have been a movie. The mm. guy in that is also somebody's kid. Like oh really? Yeah. Oh Hollywood, it's family business. Yeah, Lewis Pullman was he Bill Pullman's Bill kid? Bill Pullman's yep. kid, probably. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Lewis Pullman. Yeah, this guy. He's very good actually. He's good at. It. Hey, many of them are. Jack Quaid. <laughs> Production values are through the roof. It looks amazing. Again, it looks like it. I mean, it, it, it's like it's funny because watching watching on the different streaming services, it's clear that the Apple TV model is just like get big names and throw money at it, make it look really good. It's prestige in yeah. terms of in terms of production quality. Yeah, Apple exactly. definitely leads the pack in terms in, yeah, in yeah, that sense. Yeah. yeah. Enjoyable so far. I keep asking my wife, I'm like, this happened in the book? This happened in the book? You know, an interesting topic of conversation, maybe for a future show, if the strike's still happening in January would be, you know, recommend things to watch for each other that yeah. we may not otherwise want to check out. Oh, that's a good like, idea. Make, like make the case for Downton Abbey. Make the case for Slower Horses. Or we, we should do, do, assi- we should do assignments. We, yeah, we should yeah. do assignments. Yeah, yes, yeah. that's a like good within idea. reason. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Please watch all of suits. And I had a bonus one I was going to add, but I'm going to save it because I have the script, Connor. I see it relates yeah. to one of the questions, so I'm going to hold off on it. So right. there you go. So Florence on Apple TV+, Plus, The Gold on Paramount+, Plus, and Lessons in Chemistry on Apple TV+. Plus. Those are my picks. So I saw the gold trailer last night when I tuned into, I guess tuning is still a thing you do, tuned into Paramount Plus for the premiere of Lawman, Bass Reeves, the latest from Taylor Sheridan, the latest Western. This is a, um, I don't know what this is in terms, the title sounds like they're setting up an anthology of different Lawman stories. So you could do all kinds of Lawman, Pat Garrett or Bat Masterson or whoever. But this is about Bass Reeves, uh, one of the first, if not the first black deputy U.S. Marshal in America. They premiered two episodes. They premiered as of this recording literally yesterday. Terrific cast. David Oyelowo is the lead playing Bass Reeves. The only criticism I have for him is that he's not going full walrus mustache that Bass Reeves actually had. He's got the tight, almost Martin Luther King mustache he had in, in Selma. But he's not doing the full like Sam Elliott stash, which he really should be doing. But that's fine. Also stars Dennis Quaid and Donald Sutherland. And the first episode featured our favorite guy, Shea Wiggum. Oh. oh, 
Really? It seems Everything. like they're setting up Shane Wiggum to be a down-the-road big bad. Also, Barry Pepper is very good in it. It's, oh, got, it's got a lot of those people like, oh, really sort of good character actors. I just I love me some Shane, Shane Wiggum in something I started watching. And I was like, ooh. Shane Wiggum plays time. a very despicable character. And it's hard because you like Shane Wiggum sort of inherently, but you're just like, ugh. Yeah, but you buy him as a despicable character. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Again, good production values. It takes place in the, in the Old West. It starts in the Civil War. If you don't, don't know anything about Bastard Reeves, he's a fascinating character. Oh. Kind of like Lessons in Chemistry, a little slow paced. I think we're, we're two episodes into what I assume will be 10, and he still hasn't gotten a badge yet. But I think that's happening in the third episode, which will be coming this week. But if you like Westerns, if you like David Oyelowo, or if you're a fan of like the Yellowstone, whoever, I'd say check out Lawman Bassery. So I think Josh would like it. I just yeah, I put yeah. it on my list as you were talking. Last weekend, when I was homesick, as I still am, as you can hear my voice, I watched all of season three of Lupin, the French heist show. Loved the first two seasons. The third season ends on a really emotional and dramatic cliffhanger. I don't know if they're doing any more of this show or not. I hope they do because they can't just leave us in a lurch like that. The fun of that show is that almost every episode features some sort of crime heist situation and you watch for three quarters of the episode as it unfolds and then it backs up and shows you what really happened and why what you saw wasn't necessarily what really happened. It happens in every episode and every episode you get you still get caught in it. It's a really fun, intricate sort of puzzle show about this uh, do-gooder criminal in modern day Paris and it's all in French and I quite enjoy it. And finally, I'm holding back on the final episode because I don't want it to end, but I've been obsessed with strike force five, the podcast put together by the five late night hosts in the United States, Jimmy Kimmel, Jimmy Fallon, Stephen Colbert, Seth Meyers, and John Oliver. They did this as a benefit show for their crew. All the proceeds from the ad sales and everything went to give money to their crews who are out of work. And the show was so good that I'm a nightly Colbert viewer and I'm a weekly John Oliver viewer. And it almost makes me enjoy their shows less because they're so loose and funny on this podcast. And it's like five friends who are extremely funny hanging out with each other and busting each other's balls for an hour. And it's so good. I will jump on this in terms of sort of taking it as one of my own because I don't really have that much to talk about. I had seen whatever the clips on YouTube or, I did, or not YouTube, but like Instagram, the reels, and I, and I kind of saw it. And I was like, oh, that's funny. I didn't really know what it was. And I said something to Connor and he's like, yeah, Megan's been listening to it. And I was like, I don't know what that means. And I went and I looked it up and I was like, oh, it's this podcast. And Lindsay starts tearing through them right away, my wife. And she comes to me and she's like, you need to start listening to this immediately because we need to talk about it. And every one of them was extremely delightful. And it's just like that feeling of, like incredibly s- smart and funny people with Jimmy Fallon. He's also funny. He's just he's taking the role of the punching bag on the show. I don't yeah. know that. I don't know yeah. that. I, there's definitely times where he was quick and funny, but when he did, it was surprising. And it's really interesting to, because I, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm like David Brent, I guess, in that like I'm, a, I feel, I'm a failed comedian. So when I'm listening to this stuff, I'm listening to their different kind of senses of humor. And so John Oliver, when he speaks, everything he says sounds like it's scripted because he's that good. And then Seth Meyers thing is to pick up on one little detail, one crumb that you dropped, you know, and they, and they just go there. And then Jimmy Kimmel is surprisingly funny. He's very funny. No, I know that, but like just in a, but he's like wax him with a bat funny. Like he's not yes. like a surgical strike funny, but not dumb funny. It, like, no, it no, seemed, he's good. no I'm, I'm saying, but like it, it would seem like it's kind of dumb funny. I, it was just great. And when they came back for a couple more, I, I remember there was ones. So there was a few where they had guests on and I, and I don't normally like it when podcasts have guests on. Because I really, the fun of it is just listening to these guys. But it, you know, it worked out really. So it was, you know, John Stewart and there's Letterman and eventually Ryan Reynolds. God, it, it's such a bummer that they're like, well, now the show's ending. And I was like, but this is better than the other things you do. Right. This is, this is better than what you do every night. Like, do this. The other thing that was super fun about it was there was times where you were like, I think that they're forgetting that they're being recorded because they would talk about, like, they were talking about guests. So yeah. they'd be, you know, they would be like, you know, oh, so and so is a lunatic. You know, I can say their names. And I was like, Jesus, it was great. It was really like, it was sort of the first time since when, you remember that when the pandemic started and everybody who was an entertainer had nothing to do and all of a sudden all sorts of crazy things came out or whatever. They were and, scrambling. I know, but some of it was really sort of yeah. intimate and heartfelt and fun. And it was like that. Like, there's no circumstance economically that would ever make this make sense for those people. No, no, God, no. Other than it, they're like, well, we have time. I was like, you know what? 45 minutes a week, you guys can hang out with each other, you know, <laughs> six months a year. You know, obviously they were having fun. Oh, yeah. God, it was such a delight. It was the best. Like, I kind of wasn't thinking about it in terms of podcasts for this part, but it's the best thing that I have listened to in the longest time. Yeah. Not to be the contrarian, but I didn't last 10 minutes. You don't like Late Late You didn't like how they treated Jimmy. 
No, no, I, I can't stand Fallon. No, I like, I, I mean, I used to watch Seth Meyers and uh, we watch John Oliver on a weekly basis. I don't watch Colbert. I don't actually watch Kimmel. I don't really care for late night just in general, but I was like, oh yeah, whatever. And you know, hearing how warmly it was spoken spoke about and I had a long drive ahead of me. I put it in and I was just like, oh, I don't need to hear fucking guys patting themselves on the back for an hour. That was not it at all. Yeah. I don't yeah, know. I just, I would, just, did you just listen to the first one? It wasn't for me. It turned me off. That's listen all. Listen to episode so. five. Yeah. I'm telling you. Okay. That's the game show. Again, I'm saying not not to be contrarian. I'm saying it just wasn't for me. Not always for everyone. But if you were 10 minutes in, I don't think you actually heard enough of it. Sounds like you were right away. I do this. You were like, I don't know. And you went another few minutes. You're like, I don't care. Yeah, exactly. exactly. I know, but Uh, things get better sometimes. Right. Whatever. Possibly. (laughs) I have no skin in that game. I just wanted to sort of, because, I don't know, we finished the stuff we were watching. Lindsay and I started watching The Sopranos again. I don't know if that was like a offshoot from when we talked about HBO last time. And like, I just wanted to watch something that was really compelling. And, you know, those shows are all to me like the great novels. You can sort of go back to them and watch them again. We've been tearing through it. We're in like the middle of the third season now. And it just, it lives up to all of the things that it's supposed to. It's been, I don't know, five or six years since I watched it or anything like that. But this time, I think, you know, you focus, when I watch a new show, like a great show through a second time, I sort of find a different thing to focus on. And so like the two things I I keep looking at is as I'm trying to figure out what David Chase is trying to say from moment to moment, if anything, which is kind of fun. I was like, oh, because sometimes every once in a while, one of the dumbass gangsters will just say something. I was like, he's way too smart to think that. But, you know, or, or it's way too smart for what he's thinking. And then the other part is just watching Gandolfini at this point and just be like, well, what is it that everybody thought was so great about it? And sort of focusing on him and watching him do all the different things. And it really is, it's, it's, he's kind of amazing in that way. I just like one of those times I went back and I watched, I've done that a couple of times, watched through Seinfeld. And like at a certain point, I started watching Julia Louis-Dreyfus through that. And I was like, she's the best thing on this show. And it wasn't obvious to me when I was younger just meaning that you sort of capture that sort of genius mm-hmm. going on in that thing and it, it's you know not everything is worth watching again but there are certain shows from our lives and it's you know it's it's arguable that the sopranos is it's certainly top five most important shows of our life could be higher uh in terms of you know being a great thing and affecting everything that came after it so that's been really fun also in terms of watching a thing again i watched through all of the it crowd and having that been done, I then watched through all of Black Books again, which was the show that he did before the It Crowd and after Father Ted. I am now to understand that Graham Linehan has has said some quite reprehensible things and people hate him very much. And I have since decided that the show is still funny as fuck. <laughs> I mean, like I hadn't seen, I'd watched the It Crowd once 15 years ago or whenever. And actually there's a bunch of it at the end that I think I hadn't seen. And it was so funny. It's so good. It the was show is so good. Remarkable. What did you watch it on? BritBox. I got a like a I got a free two month trial to BritBox, and now I'm I think I'm paying another like four bucks a month for it for another couple of months or something like that. And that's also where you know actually Black Books was on Freevee, I think. Whatever you know, but it was one of those things. It's like it was just effortlessly funny. It was joke after joke after joke, and you watch what's Roy's real name, the actor who became famous after the Chris O'Dowd. Chris O'Dowd. I mean that guy. He really plays dumb incredibly well. And then at the other side, you have Richard Ayoade. It's one of the funniest shows I've ever seen in my entire life. There's a couple of bits in it where you're like, ooh, that part didn't age well. But there's sort of few and far between. And I just was surprised at how good it still was after all of these years. And actually went on a lot longer, or at least over a longer period than I remembered, I guess. Like it's, it sort of went to like 2010 or something like that was the last one. That was great. I'm not going to talk about Black Books, but if you haven't seen it, that show's incredible too. It's just three short seasons about a very crabby man who runs a bookstore. It's extremely wacky. There's not a lot of reality to it. It's sort of like the It Crowd, but almost even more so. I love that show. It's great. That's all. That's what I've been watching. All right. So that's what we've been enjoying. Let's move on to the mailbag. We asked people to write in. We asked for some holiday questions. We got some of those at the end of this bag, the bottom of the bag. We pulled out some of the best ones we wanted to answer. We didn't get to everybody's questions, sent them in, and we apologize if we didn't get to yours. We just couldn't do them all, and some of them we couldn't even answer, so we had to skip those. But let's start off with O&M from Bray, County Wicklow, Ireland. Curious as to what your thoughts are on the Beatles now and then, the song itself, the technology, the mythos, the history, all of it. It's funny because I'm wondering if Owen is is in our internal iFanboy office Slack because it's been a hotly discussed <laughs> topic of the last week or two of the last Beatles song to be released now and then. That was actually going to be my bonus above, but I wanted to save it. But before we get to the thing I want to talk about, gentlemen, after the hullabaloo of it, the 12-minute mini-doc, and then the release of the song, how are you feeling about it? I've kind of actively avoided it. 
<laughs> and it's not that I, it's not I'm not trying to be cool like I don't even care. Yeah. It's rather that I kind of do care and I I know it's probably not going to make much of an impact on me in that way, which is kind of disappointing, so I've just sort of like I feel like I'm going to be sitting there at one point just like, "All right, I'm going to put it on." But I kind of wanted it to be perfect. Like I was at my computer, I was like, "I don't want to play this." on my computer, yeah. you know? And then the other night I was like, ah, I don't feel like I, I, I'm just putting it off. I don't know why it's like going to the doctor. I don't know something. Ouch. It's good. It's not a great song, but it's good. I don't think it's as good as the other two songs they did for the anthology, but I have watched the, the doc twice and the music video. So let's save it on the music video. Cause I want to hold it. I want to, we need to specifically talk about the music video. <laughs> I think watching the doc twice in the music video made me like it more. When I first heard the song, I was like, yeah, that was okay. And then I watched the doc and watched the doc again, the music video. And then I was like, well, I think I like it more now that I've heard it a few times that I've sort of seen the backstory of it. Yeah. There's a moment in the doc where they're talking about the first time they heard John's vocals after they ran through the mile system, the system that cleaned up the vocals. And they play it in the doc with no accompanying sound, just his voice. And they said that Paul cried. And, and I got emotional I hearing that, that for whatever yeah. reason. Yeah, I can see that. Yeah. I got emotional just hearing that part of it. And I kind of wish they would go through and fix the, his vocals on the other two songs now because they were really rough. They and they can. The yeah, they can. <laughs> yeah, clearly. And it's okay for you to remaster yeah. those. That's fine. Yeah. It's a solid Beatles song. It's not a great Beatles song, but it's a solid Beatles well, song. It's, well, so, so, yeah, that's what I'll stop. So, I watched the documentary. I watched, you know, I've listened to the song and then I've, I've watched the video, the aforementioned video. And I kind of like, it's funny because I'm kind of falling somewhat in the middle of the, like, like often where one of us always falls in the middle of the other, other two. When Anthology came out in 95, I did not like the two songs that came out and was ultimately dismissive of them because I was like, eh, it's not, it's not. They're not, they're not real. It's not a thing. And I still feel that same feeling of this. This is not a Beatles song. This is a John Lennon demo that he had recorded in the late 70s that then the Beatles have come and like, well, we're going to add our bits to it. We'll make it into a Beatles song, which is nice from an emotional standpoint. And valid. You can do that. But if it's done in the late 70s, right there. It's a little bit of gimmicky. It's a little bit of nostalgia. It's fine. And, and especially coming off Get Back and now the Peter Jackson of it all and all this sort of stuff. It's fine. I thought of everything, the documentary was probably the most value out of anything just to see what about the process and the kind of memories and then the, the enduring legacy now as Paul and Ringo kind of continue on the legacy. And then I watched the music video. It's amazing. Are you serious? Yeah, I mean, it's that the was best coming. thing I've seen in forever. You've got to be kidding me. It's, no, it's it's perfectly in their wacky 60s aesthetic. Oh, man. It is like... It Go is back like, and watch their short films from the 60s. It's Those are fucking weird. Trust me, I have and I understand that. It is... This music video is full of interesting choices that, that on one hand, it's like 40, 40% cringe 60% mediocrity and there's definitely a way that you could you could approach this mu music video and play into the nostalgia of it and play into you know this sort of stuff and they do that to a point but then there's not enough budget to sell what they thought they would try to do and it just comes off looking weird and uncomfortable I think it was wonderful. I got emotional watching that. Wonderful too. is not the word I would use to describe that. <laughs> when you say uncomfortable though have you seen it? What? What? I just said no. He hasn't heard the song. Oh, okay. I'm sorry. I didn't know. I hadn't heard it. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? Like, like uncomfortable. You've got to sit down and watch it. Then you'll see what I mean by Like, is it uncomfortable in the sense that, like, it's watching these old men do something that's sort of dorky nope. or? Nope. No, it's weird. Okay. It's weird. It's like they're on LSD making a music video, and it's great. No, I, I, I would give it more credit if it was like that, if it went far enough to be like that, but it doesn't. It's trying to tap into that wackiness or whatever, but with a, and I don't know if it's a budget issue or a time issue or an age issue, but there's a piece that's missing that makes it not <laughs> just really awkward and, and disturbing <laughs> and not in a good way. And trust me, you guys know me. I want awkward and disturbing in a good way. This was not awkward and disturbing in a good way by any shape and form. Hmm. Josh, you got to watch it and then, then come back to us because there's just some very odd decisions made. Right. It's <laughs> terrific. Let's move on to the next email, Josh, and, and do number two. Number two is Scott H. of Portland, Oregon. As someone who's a fan of the Criterion Collection, I've started wondering what would the iFanboy film collection look like? I can think of a few films, Goodfellas, Star Wars, Jaws, that the three of you seem to treasure. Are there other consensus films that the three of you would collect and preserve as a sort of iFanboy film canon? In my mind, these would be films that, like the GDATs, you would all need to unanimously agree should be added to the collection. This is fantastic. <laughs> Great. Yeah, it's very cool. We could do this. We could fill the rest of the show right here. So I'd like to see how we're going to avoid doing that. <laughs> well, well, I think I think it's safe to say that there's a certain, you know, th this is, is also a great idea, but there's a certain just like 
no-brainer gimmies that are actually honestly kind of boring because it'd be like Star Wars, Jaws, Goodfellas. Like sure, you're but just he roll. said that, so we're yeah, yeah, no, I mean, yeah, is no, it, totally. Is it, is yeah. it National yeah. Lampoon's Vacation, or is it just one scene from it? No, I, I love Vacation as a yeah, whole. I love I, 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 What's I, funny I is that I, when I'm thinking here, I'm Rain trying to fire. think of examples. Rain of Fire. <laughs> Although yeah. but everything I think of, I feel like is with one of you, but not necessarily both of you. That's not true. I mean, I like the well, not ju- not just that one. I just mean like the examples I'm thinking of. like. So I could say JFK. I know Connor and I. That's on our list, but not. Oh, I love JFK. Okay, I love JFK. Yeah, back into the left. In that same vein, like I think I just started thinking of mine because as soon as I JFK, I was like 13 days. But that's a me thing. I mean, maybe Connor. So the thing is, one of the films that we've all talked about a lot or seen together that we really loved. I mean, I think you could make the, the case for The Departed. The Departed it was exactly sure, what yeah. I was about to say. Gangs of New York, then? Any Tarantino film that we've seen. Any, I mean, Once yep. Upon a Time in Hollywood, for sure. Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, for Hope sure. Fiction. I mean, Connor, I mean, Crossroads has got to be in there, right? Crossroads is great. I mean, I'm not voting for that. <laughs> <laughs> it's just made it just outside of canon. Yeah. Is Wet Hot American Summer count? Oh, hell yeah. For Connor? I like it. I don't yeah, think I love it. It's just a Ron and me. That's what I'm talking about. Yeah. Interesting. The Lord of the Rings trilogy. Yeah. I was, yeah, I was yeah, thinking the sure. same thing. I was thinking yeah. the Lord of the Rings trilogy has to be there. Yeah. How about, I know we went and all saw this together. Borat. The 2008 Star Trek. Oh. Oh, yeah. I put that in there. Yeah. That's a good time for all of us. Yeah. Yeah. It was fun. Yeah. Fun Once. time at the movies. What about Borat? Borat was a good time at the movies. It was, but have you. None of have us have talked about it since. No, I've never watched. Well, we I know, about you can't, you can't recreate yeah. that that moment. Right, I know. So I, that's like it. not a movie we necessarily revisit. We had an experience with it. We all saw three hundred together as well, and a baby was crying. <laughs> <laughs> the baby should have. We crying. all saw Spider Man three together, and we've uh. never mentioned it since. <laughs> and that's not even a joke. Like we no, all saw it and walked out just stunned, <laughs> and have Silent. not mentioned it since. <laughs> I don't think it would be a giant canon or collection, I but I think it would be a solid canon. It would also be weird yeah. and and a distinctly ours. And we could maybe think about doing this question as a whole episode later and sort of try to figure it out for sure. I, but, I would have to come with a list. I'd like, I, yeah, yeah, what to, I would do for that homework. was I would go look yeah. at my movie collection. Because Josh, you're, you're factoring in there a shared experience aspect of which I don't think is a requirement. No, 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 no. no. That, uh, that was that was one thing that I brought. It was just those examples. Yeah. But I think the other one, if it, if it's something, I mean, because basically if we all went to see something, then there's something there. But right. the other thing would be like things we talk about a lot and, and like – I start to think about movies that I love. I'm like, oh, is this? And I go, nah, it's not for one. Not one of them isn't his thing. So right. we'd have to work at it. I think we're yeah. pretty. T- we're pretty targeted about movies we talk about all the time. It's not a huge list. Yeah, it's true. Ron, to number three. John Joseph J from Brooklyn writes in and says, "Been thinking about this question since I first saw Josh tempt fate and get back on a skateboard recently. What if any skateboard videos is Josh watching? And are there younger professionals you follow? John Dickerson and Grant Taylor are two skaters I can never get enough of." Also, what is your larger motivation to start skating again? I've gotten a setup again recently and find myself daydreaming and setting quixotic goals of doing things on a skateboard I couldn't do when I was 20 and now have no likelihood of accomplishing. Do you find yourself doing something similar? And when taking back up a hobby or activity, do you find yourself trying to engineer a reasoning for why you spend time pursuing it? Josh, what hurts right now? This is very personal. I strained my psoas muscle and I can't. <laughs> here's my, here's my, I think, I don't think I told this on the show. By the way, why do I do it? I was going with my nine year old and he wanted to do it when I was doing it. It was fun. I also like buying equipment. So I was like, oh, I get to make a skateboard again. And I, I did that and I go with him and it's, it's been, it's really fun. How long after building the skateboard did you hurt yourself? Quite a while. So what happened oh. was I've actually been fine. I got pads and helmet. Like I don't fuck around. Like there's no, I can't fall and hurt myself. So I've never done a kickflip in my life. I can ollie. That's about as I was never a good skateboarder. That should be noted. Like I can stay on it. That's about it. And then also I'm old enough so that like all the stuff that people think of street skating now that is very like none of that happened when I was a kid. There were no ramps. There were no anything. You know, like it was you found a. I know, just the fact that there's uh, skate parks in every town now just blows my mind. Yeah, like it used it, to. It used to be for for us in high school. It was like what parking lot can we skate in that we haven't been chased out of yet? Exactly. You know, like, and yeah, so yeah. there wasn't really a lot you could do. You know, and nobody right. knew, nobody really did kick flips, like all the stuff that people do. That's Rodney Mullen shit. And we didn't do that. Yeah. So I really, every once in a while, I'll go, you know, there's YouTube now that teaches you how to do everything. I was like, yeah, how do I do a kick flip? Because I've been trying it for 30 years the wrong way. And like the weather was really crappy. And so I didn't have a chance to try it after I'd watched it. And then uh, I came out from my office into the parking lot. I knew I had a skateboard in the back of my truck. So I opened it up and I was like, all right, I'm just going to try it one time. And I kicked down with my left foot because that's how, you know, that's how you'd ollie. And immediately I felt a pain. 
in a muscle that I did not know the name uh-huh. of. Like it was one second. And this is, I've been, I've been skiing for months and I haven't really had a problem. And, and, uh, it doesn't hurt when I do anything except try to skateboard. So I can't do an ollie or anything. At the same time, my nine-year-old hurt his foot. So we've both been taking a break. I don't really follow any skateboarding videos or anything like that or people. I went back and I watched the Bullens Brigade video again. And when Roddy Mullen talks, I cry. And then, you know, like my favorite skater was Lance Mountain. So he talks. And But I, I watched old stuff. And I've been watching other stuff. But like, I don't know who anybody is. So it's I'm not there. I'm not. I'm not following it. You got to promise us that when you uh, fall and crush your nuts on a rail that you, someone will film it. Well, here's the thing is he, he mentioned a goal. So I had one one goal was I, I wanted to learn to drop in on like a quarter pipe type of ramp, which I've never done before. Because again, there were no fucking ramps. And I did it. I finally like I worked my way up to it and I did it. And so I did like a four foot one. And I was like, that's cool. And I'm terrified to go any higher. There's a thing that is stopping me for like I'm kind of stuck at this little progression point I got at. It's your sense of mortality and your yeah. knowledge of what will happen if you fall, which as a kid you don't have, or even yeah. as a young adult you don't have. Yeah, I know. So, you know, that's, so that's it. It's fun, but it's I think your survival mechanism. It's good, but it's been really fun. Like, I, you know, I need stuff that keeps me moving around and, and, and sort of doing things. And it's, so that part's really good for me. And I have the excuse of being 46. Like, what do you want me to do? I'm overweight and 46. Fuck off. <laughs> Nick B. from Melbourne, Australia. I've been thinking about this question for almost a month since I watched David Lynch's Mulholland Drive. I'm not very familiar with the Lynchian style, so I found the film a bit jarring. But still (laughs) overall enjoyed the experience, despite feeling required to delve into various video essays to understand certain parts of the movie. I wanted to get your takes on that movie and what other David Lynch works are worth checking out. I am considering Twin Peaks. Oh, jeez. Go for it. Honestly, Mulholland Drive is one... I would say not blank spot, but dark spot in terms of my Lynch fandom and that like I saw it in the theater when it came out. I think I've watched it once at home like a year later and that's I have not revisited in 20 plus years. First of all, check out Twin Peaks for sure. Yeah, 100% check out Twin Peaks. That it's is, his most it's, second most mainstream, second most accessible work. Yeah. If the weird jarring bits you found intriguing but confusing, the, you know, Twin Peaks should be a nice primer into that. Might I recommend my old Thanksgiving tradition of, you know, Thanksgiving weekend is a great time to pop in the pilot episode of Twin Peaks and just go, get as much as you can get done over those four days. It's a Jesus. lot of fun. That might be worse than when I saw Casino on Thanksgiving. <laughs> I will say this. I think that Twin Peaks The Return split the Twin Peaks fandom into two groups, one of which suddenly realized they weren't actually big David Lynch fans. Yeah. <laughs> and they were, they found out they were Mark Frost fans. <laughs> right. And so I kind of fall into that camp a little yep. bit. I like David Lynch. I think he's a great artist. To give the context, Twin Peaks was co-written and created Produced, by Mark yeah. Frost and David Lynch. Mark Frost had a long history in television, and that's why I think David Lynch is a film auteur. And like, what's great about Twin Peaks was the merging of their two yeah. perspectives. And when David Lynch got fed up and kind of stepped away during season two – and Frost got more to the forefront, you lost that edge that Twin Peaks had. Like it, it, The magic it, was the two of them together. The magic was two of them together executing at that level. The first season has it unequivocally. The second season, not as much. And The Return is just something else. The Return is mostly Lynch unleashed. Yes. And it's, yeah. I didn't really like it. Uh, this is like Roger Avery, the forgotten contributor to Pulp Fiction. Yeah. Everyone remembers Quentin Tarantino, but he's like, yeah, and then the I- rules of attraction came out. And everyone's yeah. like, oh. <laughs> so it's tough. I don't think I've ever. Se- I, see- I did see Bolo Drive. I've never seen the Robert Blake one. Yeah, I have seen that one. They don't stick with me. I don't love it, but I think you should definitely check out Twin Peaks. That's like his yeah. magnum. Absolutely. Opus. Yeah. And minimum the pilot, try to get through season one. It's short. Yeah, it's short. And also, I think the first quarter of season two. Yeah. It's still very much in the vein of season one. Yeah. Josh. I don't like David Lynch. I don't know any don't know. of it. Next email. Next oh. question. Yeah, we, we didn't we didn't think you would. We know you don't like it. Everyone knows. The whole town <laughs> number? Five. Five. Ryan S. of Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. If you guys were ever to do another Movies by Minutes podcast, ignoring that others aside from Star Wars Minute and Goodfellas Minute exist, what movie would the three of you pick? <laughs> I have we've done this question. I have been yeah. thinking about this question since the end of Goodfellas Minute. And then number two, what are your top three Scorsese movies? Well, so real quickly, I just pulled up moviesbyminutes.com, and there are currently 239 podcasts listed by those. Did anyone do uh, Rain of Fire? (laughs) No, no one's done Rain of Fire. There you go. So uh, just so everyone, anyone who's come along recently, we did Goodfellas Minute in 2012. 16? 12? No, not 12. That's too early. 16 sounds better. Closer. 16? Sure. Yeah, 16. So we did Goodfellas Minute 
around there. When we finished that show, we briefly discussed doing Jaws Minute. Someone started doing Jaws Minute, so we threw that out. I don't think they ever finished doing Jaws nope. Minute, but it didn't matter. I think we also settled on the idea that there was no movie that hit the Venn diagram for us like Goodfellas, and we couldn't find another one that would. Yeah. Like all of our interests, historical stuff to talk about, New York stuff to talk about. Like it was, it had all kinds of different veins to mine, and we couldn't really find another one like that. If we did talk about it, we just if Once find Upon one. a Time in Hollywood was shorter. Yeah, mm-hmm. I think we could do that. The thing for me that mm-hmm. that that is the magic of what Star Wars Minute did, and what the magic of what we did with Goodfellas Minute was the analysis and enjoyment of the film of the subject commingled with the historical. Yeah. Right. And the history of actually making the movie as well. Right. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. That's so, a big part so of Star and, Wars. and Goodfellas, we got a little, we got a little extra because we had the historical, what it was based on, along with the making of where Star Wars is mainly on the historical of the making, which I find interesting. Yeah. Right. And like going through this list of 239, it's great. I mean, like I love Top Secret. And I love that someone's doing Top Secret Minute. That's not a movie I want to analyze minute yeah. by minute. So, like for me, it's got to be the Venn diagram of like worthy enough stuff to talk about in each minute episode of what's on film. But but then also what's the story underneath the film, you know? Yeah. And the story I mean, underneath the reality of the film. You know, like, so Goodfellas, yeah. you have the making of it and those actors, which is interesting. Then you have yeah. the actors in it who were not actors and all the weird shit that had to do with them. Then you had the real people that they're based on. Then you had what was going on in New York. There's a lot of stuff about the uh, Robert Moses expressways. And then finally <laughs> we had the music. Like there was a lot of things just outside yeah. of them. There were so many lanes to go down yeah. that we never yeah. ran out of things to talk about. Sometimes literally. This. Yeah. Yep. I think we answered this Scorsese question before really fast. Goodfellas, The Departed, Hugo. Good. Uh, go, Josh. Goodfellas, Departed, Gangs of New York. I go Goodfellas, Gangs of New York, The Aviator. Oh, I really, I really like the Wave Aviator. of the Future. Good movie. I also like Cape Fear. Ooh. I really love Casino. Yeah. And I didn't until I watched it later. And then I was like, oh, this movie's uncomfortable. Like yeah. in the way that it's supposed to be. I need to rewatch After Hours. Hmm. Uh, yes. Ron Six. Marcus V writes in and says, I have watched what feels like six hours. There you go, Josh. Of Once Upon a Time in America, not of Hollywood, but hmm. six hours of Once Upon a Time in America on Disney Plus and just got to the intermission. I've actually had an intermission every week or so with this movie, and apparently I'm only two and a half hours in. Look, I love Sergio Leone. The Good, the Bad, and the Ugly is my favorite movie of all time, but should I commit another five weeks to Once Upon a Time in America? I've been thinking about this for two months and five days since I started Once Upon a Time in America. <laughs> I feel like I wrote this. <laughs> <laughs> I think so, but that's just up to me. I mean, I didn't make it. It is a lot to do, but I, I feel like it's worth watching. It is, but if also there's a certain benefit in cutting bait. If you're not enjoying it, then yeah, yeah, agree. There's other things to do. With I your mean, diet. let's say you. So you guys, I think I might have finished it, but it didn't stick with me, and it was a real slog. You know, like if two and a half hours in, you don't care, you ain't gonna. Yeah, yeah, agreed. Well, there's also like a sunk time cost. Like he's already two and a half hours in. Yeah, but I mean, it's a four hour movie, right? I don't know. I feel like if you're not enjoying it, it doesn't matter. Just cut bait. There's other things to do with your time. Yep. Now, this movie's come up three times already in the show. Aaron M. from Houston, Texas. Can the iFanboy movie crew explain to me why the Tarantino movie Once Upon a Time in Hollywood is such a beloved film by you guys? I feel like I just don't get it. It has great characters and actors, but I just don't get the plot. I really like all those other films, but this one doesn't work for me. I've been thinking about this since I left the theater on release night. I, uh, it's a good I, question. For me, I, th- I think it's a good question. It's a gr- I think it's a yeah. great question. I think I think for me the answer is is that I love Tarantino, I love Brad Pitt, I like DiCaprio, I love Hollywood and it compellingly mixed all of those together in an engaging moment that at our age I think resonated more so than maybe for, I don't know how old Aaron is or or whatnot, but like the feelings of the film I can't re- relate well, don't, or don't I could discount feel. your love of 60s cult murders as well. True, yeah, exactly. I do okay, love 60s so cult murders. I, can, yeah. I think I can take that a little more. So, you know, the story is sort of the death of an era. Yeah. The yeah. story is there is a guy who is an actor who's had a mid-level career. It's the story of a mid-level man <laughs> struggling to come to terms with their own limitations in the heart's face of stardom. Oh, like I memorized that so I could pull it out at some point. Uh, anyway, you know, so it, it, you know, it's a guy who did pretty well. And he kind of thinks the world of himself. But his time is ending and you're watching him go through that. And he's got a best friend who's the best friend you could ever want, the best dude, but he kind of also works for him. So that's awkward. And then at the same time, you have all of these other things blowing up around him, which he wants to be part of, but he doesn't understand and he's not part of. 
if you're a 46-year-old man who grew up before the internet and you're watching the world change all around you, there's a lot to relate to there. At the same time, it's the voice of an entirely unique creator and you learn to like that voice. You like how they do things. But there's things in there that tickle all the notes of the stuff that we came up enjoying. When we learned how to like movies, when we learned how to like scripts and stories, that touches on all those things. You're watching. And at the same time, also, it's really interesting is that the actors portraying those characters that I just said are also going through that. At some point, Brad Pitt is going to be irrelevant. And he might even be to some people. And so there's layers upon layers going on there. And it's really interesting. And then at the same time, it's stylistic. It's interesting. The way that they do cutting and music and visuals are all things that we love just based on all the other work. I will pull up that movie and watch the scene of him driving through Hollywood at sunset. Mm -hmm. And it's just, it's just beautiful. It's just fantastic. Plus, the Scott Marco Robbie is terrific. And it also, for oh sure, God. yeah, yeah. It's important to understand it's a hangout film. It's not a plot driven movie. Yeah. It's mm-hmm. about atmosphere and character. You spend long stretches in single scenes in the movie. He's not advancing a story or a plot. It takes place over a nebulous amount of time. You're following these three characters as they live their life in this time of change that as Josh just mentioned. And then you yeah. you get to this, this uh, climactic s- sequence, but it's, not about a plot. It's not about following, you know, um, the murderers from the start to finish. It's not about finding a killer. It's not about stopping a murder. It's literally just living with the moments of these characters as they live their lives and then leaving. It's coming in and coming out. It's not a plot-driven movie. So yeah. if you don't like the plots, because there really isn't much of one. But that's very difficult to make work. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it loosely hangs onto a thread, and and I and I and I like I, I think I've said you know when I walked out, I was like, I'm not sure what to make of that. I, that was the same reaction I had. I wasn't sure either. I had to really think about it and see it again until I really got it. You know, I came back to it later and I watched it, and it was like a second time I saw it that it clicked. You know, there was things I definitely liked about it, and I, I do remember there's the moment that you realize, oh, this is the Manson family, and we all know enough about these things in relative detail. We were terrified as kids of Charlie Manson. <laughs> so, you know, like you're, you're watching that part happen and you're going, well, wait, wait a minute, what's what's supposed to happen here? And then there's a moment where you go, well, that didn't happen. And that's yeah, a lot right. like, you know, um, Inglorious Bastards is sort of the same kind of, you know, hey, that's that's not right. And then from there you realize, like, oh, we don't know what's going to happen. Oh, they're going to change history. You know, it's all that's well, yeah, interesting. It's just about reveling in the characters and the atmosphere and the time and the, and what's happening around them. It's not about following from A to B to C in terms of structure. And, and I'm not even exaggerating. I think it's the greatest thing that Brad Pitt's ever done. I just watch him in that and I'm just like, I'm not entirely clear what he's doing, but it's so fascinating to watch. And he's so good that he overshadows Leo, who's also, I think, I know. really excellent and right. doesn't get the recognition because Brad is so good in it. I agree. I agree. Yeah. Yep. Josh, do so eight. eight is Brian C. of Cincinnati, Ohio. I've been thinking about this for a few weeks now. By the way, everyone. Everyone. Thank you. Oh, <laughs> it's so good. Between the death of Harry Belafonte and watching Muppet Mayhem, I've seen a lot of clips of the old Muppet show recently and thinking on every time Disney had tried to revive the Muppets. I have to ask, why not just bring back the fracking Muppet show? Go back, watch the old episodes. The format and content still holds up. The biggest objection I've heard is that it would be a mouthpiece for Disney cross promotion, to which I respond, so you wouldn't want to see the Muppets hang out with the likes of Tom Hiddleston, Owen Wilson, Melissa McCarthy, Pedro Pascal, Quint. Okay, it's enough examples. Cheryl Lee, Ralph, Steph Curry, and so on and so on. Cool, 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 cool. Or think back to on the cool stuff that they did with Elton John and Alice Cooper. What could they do with the likes of Billie Eilish or Lady Gaga? Would it be too expensive to make today? Or is Disney just that blind? Let's go to Disney employee Ron Richards and Muppet uh, fan. I, I mean, it, this is really this is really disturbing because I feel like Brian is peering into my life and my in my household <laughs> because I've had this exact same conversation with my wife because we watched you know I excitedly watched Muppet Mayhem, which unfortunately fell short. You know, had some good moments and had some good laughs that fell short of my expectations because it fell for the same trap that every production about the Muppets post Jim Henson passing has fallen into, which is the subject is not the Muppets themselves. Rather, it's some other human relating and interacting with the Muppets and that story when I don't care about those people. I care about the Muppets. My wife and I were talking about this and ultimately came to the same conclusion that Brian has, which is it's right there in front of you. Just do the Muppet show. Right. Just do the Muppet Show and have a celebrity guest, do a variety show, do sketches, do skits. Just do the Muppet Show. It worked. It was genius in 1979. Oh, so good. 
it would be genius now with the right writers, but everybody falls prey to the, you know, make it meta. You know, what is, mm-hmm. how do the Muppets interact with social media? And all that, like, who gives a crap? If you want that stuff to be subject matter in the sketches, that's fine, but just do the sketch comedy and play to the Muppet strength, which none of the productions that they've done for the past 20 plus years do, including the most recent movies. Do you think it's because Henson's gone and they're just never going to recapture that? Genius. Yeah, I don't know if I don't know if it was Henson or or whoever else at the Henson company or whatever doing it, but it always falls prey to celebrity agreeing to do the cameo because their yeah. kids will be excited they did something with the Muppets mm-hmm. and it's like, "Oh, look at me, I'm here with the Muppets." And uh, and there's no meat to it. You go back and you watch that episode with Steve Martin, the Steve Martin episode, it is hysterical. Well, because the Muppets were genuinely subversive in the 70s too. Yeah, so exactly, you had that extra exactly. element to it. Yeah. Yep. Did you like the Jason Siegel movie? I liked it. It was closest. It was closest. The first one was really good. I remember yeah. laughing an awful lot in that movie. Yeah. But, yeah. It, but it is fall victim of the things that you yeah. just said. Cause, yeah. And I don't think that's wrong. But, I mean, it might be that. It can't be done. That, it, you know, Henson may have been the secret sauce there. It also may have been the time frame. The, the 70s yeah. and 80s yeah. was a very specific There may not be an audience humor. for it now. Yeah. 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 No, not even an audience. It's just that, that sense of humor. That is a good point. Is very specific to that time. Like Steve Martin's sense of humor is very specific to that time frame. Sure, that's like saying just do Saturday Night Live like in the seventies again. It's like it's right. not the seventies. A little easier than that. Yeah, yeah exactly. Josh Reed nine. Nine says Greg M of Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Also, while this question is mostly for Ron, I hope that everyone is able to join in. Indicating that Greg doesn't know Ron because we wouldn't have a chance to join in. What holiday classics deserve the Muppet treatment? Muppet Christmas Carol is a holiday must in my household, but what holiday movies could be done with the Muppets? See, I, I, you can Greg, have it all, I, by the way. All I, appreciate your, I appreciate your fervor there, but you're falling into the same trap, which is let's just take something established and do it with the Muppets, which I also don't subscribe to. That's how Christmas Carol came about. It's a classic. True, true, true. I did buy the, I did buy the soundtrack on color vinyl. <laughs> That's but, a good But it's qu- hard. Like, you, could, you can't just take like, the script for vacation and do it with Muppets. You know, it's right. not like a. Uh... Right. You know what? Just because of the sort of over-the-top tone, I think you could do some sort of fun Home Alone Muppets situation because it's almost a cartoon anyway. Yeah. Well, I mean – But this ends up being parody. It ends up just becoming parody. I could conceivably see – you could go super like they did with Muppet Christmas Carol. Instead of going contemporary, you go super old and do like Muppet White Christmas. You know, I think it has to be a classic. I think even you could consider doing Muppet. It's a Wonderful Life with Kermit in the you know. Yeah, in, you could. Yeah, I could see that. You could see it's a Wonderful. It's the same thing, but like say, like, the, like like with with White Christmas, you you know, Kermit is the Bing Crosby, right? yeah. and Fozzie is the you know, like yeah. you need to be able to map the characters to the right casting, right? Because that's what it's all about. Do something like the Bishop's Wife, or you Ooh. know, something like you know, like something really. Ron, you're really going for the popular appeal there. Nice work. Well, I'm just, no, I I'm think just, he's right, though. I think you can't do a modern I agree. film that yeah. doesn't work. Yeah, but there isn't a modern film that you would remake. I do think you could do Elf. <laughs> you could do Elf with Gonzo in the Will Ferrell role, right? Again, you could do, you could do all the mappings. Like You just got to map the characters. Hey, there's no point. It's, I mean, that's the thing about classic. There's no point in redoing Elf at this point. Like, If right, you did, yeah. you should do it like Psycho. Just do right. it shot for shot, but put <laughs> Muppets in there instead. Same script, yeah. same everything. <laughs> that's kind of cool I'd watch that alright our final question which is actually five questions we're going to do them in sort of rapid fire style Dave C from Buffalo New York says happy holidays Josh Ron and Connor his first question which holiday meals from any form of media would you like to experience in the company of the cast or whatever the parameters of the fictional world like would you like to be at the table when Clark cuts into the turkey and it's all just hot air oh, I don't think I've ever I've ever connected to the meals and no uh, yeah, that seems like a bad place to be. <laughs> the, that, the was, that was not, not a good, good night. Yeah, yeah. There's a chainsaw involved. Are there a lot of meals? They're not usually. That's a very specific. Um... Let's go to the next question. All right. Yeah, let's do that. Do any of you have favorite holiday memories with each other? When we all lived in the same area, we would go to an end of year steak dinner, which I would pay lots of money to do again. <laughs> Because that was always something I looked forward to. That was, was my, I, our, one of my favorite parts of the holiday season yeah. was our end of the year steak dinner. Agreed. I still yeah. think about some of those meals. Like I still like in my quiet yeah. moments would be like, oh, where's the steak at Sparks? Yeah, yeah. Yep. Where was the what was the place we went to where we we're like upstairs and it was a old that brick. was Sparks. That was Sparks. No, it was a Keens. No. Yes, oh, Keens. Keens. Yep, Keens. That was Keens. We were up yeah. in like the top room. Yeah, yep, yep. yep. And then the that first really time we one. went to the one in Brooklyn, the Peter Luger. There, Peter Luger, the bacon. Yeah, that was, and oh, I can so I can good. see and hear the waiter. <laughs> yep, <laughs> in his like long ass apron, and we're just 
noob children, you know, like out pretending to be adults. <laughs> we were like 28 years bacon. Old. Oh my God. This is <laughs> it was so good. Oh God. It was so uh, yeah, good. That, those, those were great dinners. We, that was our end of the year fanboy tradition where we got through the year. We did it for, what was it like four or five times? Yeah. Yeah. It was really good. So good. Question three, since 2020 or so, have you instituted any new holiday traditions other than trying to not die? I just, I just not, I mean, together or individually, or individually, I, mean, I guess individually, I, I, um, I mentioned, now, above, so. I mentioned above in the, in the Muppets, but for somehow white Christmas has become a, a, you know, tradition, me and my wife to watch at some point, like the, through the December, like that, that's, that's, that's worked its way in the rotation where it previously wasn't at least mm. for me, not a big, like revelatory moment there, but still, <laughs> yeah, I don't think so. I mean, it's pretty recent. We've only had two holidays since then. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, I, I don't know if it's 2020. It may be 2019 or 2018, but I'll just take it anyway. Is I've got a fairly big family in terms of like all the kids plus spouses plus their kids. And so we used to get everyone a present. You know, everyone got a present. So you ended up buying like 25 presents in the holiday time. Jeez. Oh, we decided one year just to do a secret Santa. So you buy two presents. You get two people. Mm-hmm. You buy two presents. That's all you get to worry about. It's much nice. more economical. Other than the kids. The kids get presents. But the adults, you just get two adults to get presents to. I mean, you know, my kids are 13 and 9. They're kind of a little older now. And so, I don't know, that like that all still feels new to me. Like, oh, having our kids. But years ago, we used to go, we would always drive to Maine because that's where my family was. It wasn't awesome to have to drive two or three hours both ways on Christmas. Mm, yeah. When my grandmother died, like, we kind of stopped doing it. And, and my mom will come here. And it's just really nice that we just are at our house we don't go anywhere it's just a small like the, the few of us it's nice. you know, the best mood my kids are in all year we used to get chinese food but there's no chinese food left you know like it's a good my mom comes like i, I like that part i really like it because it's very um small and intimate i don't have a big extended family my wife's family's jewish so i don't have to worry about any of that it's good i love my family on both sides but one of the best christmases was 2020 when we didn't go anywhere oh it's great <laughs> didn't, have to, didn't have to do the four families holiday i love them i love seeing them but also that was really just really nice change of pace yeah i did spend one christmas on the side of the kosciusko bridge just you're gonna straight out of a movie because right after my parents got divorced i was in my 20s and my siblings were younger you know we'd spend the morning with my mom and then we'd drive over to my dad's from brooklyn to queens we'd spend like the evening with him and then we'd go back to brooklyn and one year the car broke down right on the bridge christmas night getting a tow truck calling a friend to come pick us up to take us memories yeah Question four, have you added any new holiday media to your rotation in the last few years? Well, the aforementioned White Christmas, I will say my kids have, beginning in Halloween, going right to Christmas, have made Nightmare Before Christmas a constant in our household, hmm. which is a classic also, but wasn't one wasn't that we really, you know. Do you like it? Oh, I love it. Yeah, I think it's great, but not at the repetition <laughs> that I've experienced the past couple of years. <laughs> But it was cool. I took my kids to see it in the theater a couple of weeks ago, and that was a blast. But as, so, as your kids have gotten older, Ron, do you see them sort of finding favorites that they want to return to, or is it just like not yet? They're they're, they're 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 getting there. We finally we, finally for the first year ever, we got them to sit down and watch all of it's the Great Pumpkin, Charlie Brown, without mm-hmm. you know with being able to stay dialed into it the whole time. So that I think as they get older, they're just gonna, they're going to turn five in December, so they they're finally getting into the mindset of being able to sit and focus on something. How do they so. feel about Scrooged? Uh, unknown. <laughs> okay. No, no. Josh, anything? Any new holiday media traditions in your house? Dave C. has put in more thought to these questions than I have on pretty much any holiday ever. (laughs) I don't know. Lindsay and I tend to watch Goodfellas Christmas Eve or day. And we usually all... No, nothing new, though. Like, we'll watch Vacation, Christmas Vacation. Yeah. I have my set films. I have my stack of Blu-rays that I watch every year. (laughs) Connor's got no room to put new things in. He's got... He's got a two-week system. We've talked about this before in previous shows, in previous years. They don't make those movies anymore. They, they're all on, they all do Hallmark-style films. There's no like big-budget, big-star Christmas movies anymore. The last one was the last Christmas movie that was not very good. So there isn't really one to add to the rotation. What I do try to do every year is buy a new album. I try to find a new Christmas album to buy every year. So that's the only thing I try to add to the rotation. Right. I've got a box of Christmas albums that come out after Thanksgiving that I play until New Year's. Finally... What is the best, most formative, or favorite experience you've had with a holiday tradition or piece of media celebrating a holiday tradition or set in a tradition outside of your own? This is There's a lot there. The best, most formative, or favorite experience you've had with a holiday tradition? The earliest one was that Christmas Eve on Sesame Street was every Christmas Eve, me and my sister would watch that. 
tapping a little bit into Muppets, but more into Sesame Street and the nostalgia and that sort of thing. And then I've talked about it on the show before in years or whatever, but it's it's the emergence and adoption of It's a Wonderful Life. Mm. You know, and you know, at least for for me, what it was was I, you know, at the point when I discovered it in the mid nineties, it was in the public domain rotation. You know, it was on any channel at any given time throughout the holiday season because it was free, right? So local TV ran it, PBS ran it, all that, you know, NBC would colorize it and run it and like yep. that sort of thing. And it was kind of, you know, it was a, it was a punchline and, and not really knowing exactly what it was or any plot details or anything, just being a snot-nosed teenager in December one night. I was going out and I was, you know, going to walk out of the house and my dad's in the living room goes, hey, what are you doing? I'm like, I'm, I'm about to go out. He's like, no, you're not. And I'm like, what? He's like, come in here. And I was like, what? He's like, oh, he's like, the local PBS station is playing it uninterrupted in black and white, original version. It's Wonderful Life. Sit down. You're going to watch it. And I was like, all right, I guess I'm not going out. So I just (laughs) sat down on the couch and watched it and was just enthralled and engrossed and crying by the end of it. And thus began a holiday tradition of every year, Christmas Eve, watching It's Wonderful Life. I'm trying to think. Mm. I can't think of like a formative media related holiday tradition that I I can't think of one. Not like what Roger said. And I imagine Josh doesn't have any. Yeah, I don't have an answer for this. I'm sorry. I mean, it's it's funny because it's like it's the, a lot of these questions are dwelling in the cross section of holidays and tradition with media, right? Mm-hmm. And if you're not a big holidays person, which Josh, I don't, you're not a big holidays person. You never have. No, been, really. I am. I really love yeah. the day and the thing, but I don't associate a lot of. But the like, season? No, not really. You don't no. celebrate the season. No. Whereas like personally for me, like, and we haven't touched upon music and all this stuff, but like, you know, the Phil Spector record or the Frank Sinatra record or like all these like holiday, you know, what's, what's the, what's the term they use for classics? What the, the, uh, not staples, but the, um, there's a term in music that I forget what it is, but anyway, but the standards. um, Standards, the standards, right? And like for me, you know, like again, going back to high school, same time when I saw It's Wonderful Life, was working in a CD store. And the day after Thanksgiving, the Christmas music started and went until Christmas Eve. And so like three days a week, I was immersed in Christmas music nonstop. And then you you get into, by the nature of working in a, in a music store and the high fidelity of all, you start comparing and contrasting and, and all that sort of stuff. So now like holiday music is a big thing for me. And it's because of those memories and because of that and because of that, you know, kind of uh, laying the groundwork for it, right? I mean, I, I'm the same way. Once Thanksgiving hits, I'm in the best mood of the year until New Year's Eve. Like, I'm, it's my happiest time. It was the best time to live in New York. Yep. The best memories I had of childhood and all that stuff is that time period. Yep. And I think for me, it's not even one thing. It's those things. And the reason why I still hold on to them is because it's the memories that they've generated, even little ones, not necessarily formative ones, but I hear a song and I remember you know, something about that when I heard that song or some memory it calls up or a movie or watching a Christmas story with my mom who really loved that movie. Right. You know, all those things sort of just pile up and make it it's the happiest I am. This is the best time yeah. of the year. Yeah. And yeah. it's that feeling of the season. And I will say, I'll go back to his other question, which is, are there any new traditions? I totally forgot. And this is reminding me and it's one of my, my, my tradition, but my brother-in-law brought it to our family, which is where you know, a couple of weeks before Christmas, everybody has to text him two song picks and one is like a favorite and one is like a deep cut. And then at Christmas, he plays them and then the whole family guesses who picked the song That's and all fun. that sort of stuff. Yeah. And it's a nice kind of like, and it's cross, you know, it's using music, but also using the season and all that sort of stuff. And it's a fun little thing to do. But, you know, but part of it is, is that those, you know, those three to four weeks of the holidays were like kind of like you're the type who wears a Santa hat for those three weeks, yeah. right? Like, you know, my wife's uncle who is close to our family is the same kind of guy. I see him getting his truck and he's got a Santa hat on, you know, all that stuff. It just, it brings a smile to your face. It's harder yeah. here. I get real sweaty here, but. <laughs> so do you hate me? No, <laughs> no, you are who you are. You're allowed to be, you're allowed to not like things. Yeah. No, it's not even that. I just don't think that I base my joy on the calendar. That's fine. Yeah, that's fine. Everybody's got a different sort of thing. And, and like, I like it. I'm fine with it. But, you know, I can have amazing days and times sort of any time. And, and I, I have, there's a little part of me that's like, well, I don't know why I have to be happy right now just because it's this day, which I've always been like, which is horrible. But my kids are like it too. So who gives a shit? <laughs> so there you go. Thanks for the emails, everyone. Thanks for the holiday emails. Thanks for the non-holiday emails. That was fun. I enjoyed that cross section of topics there. That was cool topics you emailed in contact at ifanboy.com thank you very much if you want to do that for future shows you can always just put media splurred in the subject line and we will use them as we need them we appreciate it let's get out of here but first plug some shows so like i said this is the final media split of the year we'll have our all media year and roundup next month to wrap up the year 
taking place of this show. But also, we have our Pick of the Week show where Josh and I talk about the week's comics every week. We have our monthly Talksplode slash Booksplode pairing. One month it's Talksplode, the next month it's Booksplode. We'll be talking about Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles books one through four this month. And then Josh will end the year with a Talksplode interview. He just interviewed Jason Aaron for his last Talksplode, so you can check those out. Those shows and this show are all unlocked by the patrons at patreon.com slash ifanboy. And of course, you can follow all the action at ifanboy comics on instagram head over to i uh, head over to ifanboy head over to androidfaithful.com head over to androidfaithful.com where you check my other podcast where myself and my friends quinton dow and michelle Ramon are all talking about android phones and android software and apps and hardware and all that fun time so uh, yeah it's at androidfaithful.com give us a listen we'd appreciate it all right and so that's this month's show this year of media explode is over thank you very much for listening Again, next month will be the All Media Year and Roundup. We'll be back in January with another media explode. And until then, I'm Connor. I'm Ron. Josh S. Claus. S. It would have been better if you just said humbug. Nah. Someday I don't really believe that. Find it, the <laughs> rainbow connection. The lovers, the dreamers.